If you are able, please uh, stand with me um, for the reading of God's word. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. You shall not wrong a sojourner or, or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall restrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your oxen and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. This is God's word. Thanks, Jake. If you can uh, keep your Bibles open to Exodus 20 through 23, approximately. Um, Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your law that's open before us this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we look into your law, that our hearts would be like the psalmist's. The psalmist who delights in the law of the Lord and on your law meditates day and night. Would you help us to see you in it, to understand it, and to learn how to put it into practice today as your people in Christ. And so guide us this morning as we look at your word. Would your spirit give us ears to hear and eyes to see you and hearts that are ready to be changed by your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, about 10 years ago, uh, a journalist slash comedian named A.J. Jacobs 
set out on a year-long experiment that he called the Year of Living Biblically. His goal was to follow every rule and command of the Bible as literally as possible for one year. Uh, Not just the obvious ones like the Ten Commandments, um, but even the obscure ones like Leviticus 19.27. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. Or stoning adulterers per Leviticus 20 verse 10, which he attempted to carry out by throwing pebbles at a dirty old man in Central Park. He and his wife even had twins during that year. Be fruitful and multiply. They were right there. Now, listening to Jacob's talk about his experience or reading the best-selling book that came out of it, you quickly get the sense that his project was uh, more about a humorous gimmick than a genuine spiritual pursuit. Not that he didn't learn important lessons along the way. But his idea that living biblically means taking every command or rule as literally as possible, devoid of context, devoid of uh, any sense of the difference between Israel's covenant and the new covenant in Christ, uh, that illustrates a serious challenge that we face today. What do we do with the Old Testament law? Are we still supposed to obey it? Whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. Are we supposed to do that here? Uh, And if not all laws apply, how do we know which ones do? You know, how do we avoid kind of a Whitman sampler approach to uh, the Bible where we pick and choose the laws or the rules that we like or that we agree with and then we leave out the ones that, that we don't? Uh, This challenge has been amplified in recent years with respect to the Bible's view on homosexuality. Uh, Leviticus 20, verse 13, a law, clearly identifies it as an abomination. It's a serious offense against God. But the previous chapter tells us not to sow our field with two different kinds of seed or to wear clothing made of two kinds of material. I'm pretty sure we have more than a few cotton polyester blends in here this morning. And so, so why is it that we obey one but not the other? What do we do with the law? After all, Paul tells us that we're not under the law, but we're under grace, right? Romans 6. So, so we can just ignore it then, right? But then Jesus says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what do we do with the law? What do we do? Is the Old Testament still relevant today? Is the Old Testament law specifically still relevant today? And if so, what does it look like for us to obey it? That's the question that I want to tackle this morning as we look at what's known as the Book of the Covenant in Exodus 20 through 23. And there are two keys to unraveling this mystery. Uh, The first is understanding the law in its original 
context as part of Israel's covenant relationship with God. There's a purpose behind the specific regulations. We need to understand what that is. And then the second is filtering those laws through Christ, who fulfilled the law and through whom we are able to obey it today. And so we'll start with the purpose of the law, understanding the book of the covenant in context. Um, Again, keep your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at several uh, verses here in this collection. Last week, Travis walked us through the Ten Commandments, which is the heart of Israel's covenant relationship with God. And one of the most important points that he made was that the law was not given for you to be able to save yourself like a ladder with ten rungs that you just kind of work your way up to God or a checklist or something like that. Rather, the Ten Commandments established a framework for Israel's joyful response to the God who already saved them. The God who already saved them. They tell us not how to be saved, but how to live as a saved people. Salvation and grace came before the law was given. God didn't show up in Egypt with Israel enslaved there and say, hey, here's my law, keep these commandments and I'll come back and get you out. No, he saved them first by his grace for his glory and fulfillment to his promises to Abraham. And only after that does he bring them to Sinai and make his covenant with them so that they know how to live as his saved people, his special covenant people. And so the Ten Commandments provide a framework for Israel with authoritative principles for how to live as God's saved covenant people. Every rule of God serves a purpose and expresses a principle. Every rule of God serves a purpose and expresses a principle. God's laws are not random. Uh, He's not on a power trip issuing laws just because he can, like some neighbor who won't let your kids collect the baseball if it goes into their lawn just because he can. Uh, God's not on a power trip here. As Travis summarized last week, for the Ten Commandments, the two big principles that are in play are the right regard for God and right relationships with each other. The right regard for God, loving the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and right relationships with each other, loving your neighbor as yourself. So more specifically, we see in the Ten Commandments the principles of God's uniqueness. There's no God like him. Of his exclusivity, there is no other God. Of his holiness and his authority and his worthiness. And that's what's behind the first four commandments. And then you see uh, the principles of human dignity and respect. The right for parents to be honored. The right for people's lives and property and marriages and reputations to be protected. That's what's behind commandments 5 through 10. And so there's principles that drive God's rules. That's what the Ten Commandments provide, a framework. But how are those principles to be applied in everyday life situations among God's covenant people? Uh, For instance, uh, you can have a principle like protecting someone else's property. But that's a pretty general thing. What does that mean when I'm over at your house? What does it mean to protect or respect your property 
when I'm in your house. I need to know what the house rules are for that. Am I supposed to take my shoes off at the door? Uh, Do I use a coaster for the coffee tables or not? What are the house rules? I'm all about respecting property, but I need to know the house rules when I'm here and what that looks like. And, And so the book of the covenant is given to God's people as kind of the, the, spe, the specified house rules within Israel's covenant relationship. It takes the general principles that you see in the, new, in the Ten Commandments, loving God, loving your neighbor, these Ten Commandments, and then it spells them out in more detail, uh, the house rules, if you will, for what it looks like in daily life to put these commandments into practice. And so that's what the book of the covenant, these additional laws that that we have before us this morning, Uh, how to apply the Ten Commandments in everyday life. Now, we call this section the book of the covenant, chapters um, 20, verse 22, all the way to the end of 23. We call it that because that's what Moses called it in chapter 24, verse 7. And it's a large chunk. We, We, Jake read, you know, a good portion of it. But he probably only read a third of it this morning. That's all I asked him to read. Uh, it's a large chunk uh, of text. It's one, but it's one big section, and it has one common purpose. And so that's why I wanted to cover the whole thing together this morning. And if you kind of follow along through your Bibles, you see it breaks down into five parts. So there are first instructions for the proper worship of Yahweh. And that's the end of chapter 20, verses 23 to 26. Then you have instructions for the protection of people's lives. What does it mean not to murder? Well, let me spell it out for you. Uh, That's 21, 1 through 32. Then instructions for the protection of people's property. 21, 33 through 22, 14. Then instructions for the proper respect of the other. So including the proper respect God deserves, the proper respect your neighbor deserves, Deserves and even the land and your livestock, creation. How to properly respect that. And that's uh, 2216 to 2319. And then finally, the last section are promises and instructions about inheriting the land in 2320 to 33. So it's one big chunk with five sections, but one common purpose to help Israel apply the Ten Commandments to daily life. And, and when we look at the introduction to this section, if you flip and look at chapter 20, verse 22, uh, we notice two things about the Book of the Covenant. First, that it is distinct from the Ten Commandments, but not disconnected. It's distinct, but it's not disconnected. So it's distinct in that while God himself spoke the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, uh, audibly from heaven. These laws are given to Israel through Moses. Instead of God speaking them audibly like he did the Ten Commandments, he gives them through Moses. Verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel. So this is distinct. It's, a, it's, a, it's another set of laws. But it's not disconnected. In fact, God's declaration of the Ten Commandments is the basis for why they should listen to Moses and obey this next set of laws. Uh, continuing in verse 22, you shall say to the people of Israel, you've seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. So because of that, you need to listen and obey to this new set of laws that I'm giving you. So the book of the covenant flows directly out 
of the Ten Commandments. It's distinct from it, but it's not disconnected. More than that, nearly every instruction you find in chapters 20 through 23 can be tied back to at least one of the Ten Commandments. So it's almost like a sermon on the Ten Commandments, how to apply you know, and, and put them into practice. These are the house rules for putting the general principles of the Ten Commandments into practice as God's covenant people uh, in ancient Israel. And so, for instance, uh, the first section of rules for proper worship, in 20, verse 23 to 26, you have a principle that's rooted in the first and second commandments. You shall have no other gods before me and don't make a, a carved image. So there's a principle, namely God's uniqueness and exclusivity and holiness. And then that principle is, is fleshed out. So what does it look like for me to recognize God's uniqueness or his exclusivity? Well, chapter 20, verse 23. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. He's spelling it out in more specific terms. Because if you do that, you're breaking the first and the second commandments. Or what happens when an Israelite does break those commandments? What do we do then? Well, chapter 22, verse 20. Whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. So, so the regulations apply the big principles, the uniqueness and, and exclusivity and holiness of God. Uh, another example, if you look at the second section of the book of the covenant, in 21 uh, verses 1 through 32, another important principle that you see in the Ten Commandments is the dignity of human life. The dignity of human life. That, that's behind so many of these commandments. Not to murder, not to steal, not to bear false witness, and so on. Uh, there's this dignity that's true of all of human life. So, so what does that look like here, fleshed out in the life of ancient Israel? What are the house rules? Uh, that's what the second section tells us. Which kind of strikes us at, uh, as a bit odd at first. When you realize that the first 11 verses of chapter 21 talk about how to treat male and female slaves. And that, that doesn't exactly sound like protecting life when you're giving rules about how to treat your slave. Uh, especially when the word slave, you know, when we hear that, we think of the atrocities in our own national history. This, this sounds odd and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, slavery among the ancient world was quite different uh, than, than what we have in our own national history. For instance, it was voluntary and it was temporary. So there are some important differences. Uh, but what's most striking here about the law and what it's doing is that the laws given here are designed to protect the slave from the master. So even the slaves in this old institution uh, have rights to be protected. And so God cares about the dignity of the, uh, of the slave. Now, why he didn't just give a law abolishing the institution instead of giving laws for restraining evil within it, I have no idea. I, I don't know why he didn't do that. But the laws he's given are very clearly there to protect life, to protect the slave from the master. No other ancient system had that kind of protection. Um, the principles are, are there. To protect life. Or similarly, in uh, verses 12 to 33, in chapter 21, 
you have a list of laws about the proper consequences for wrongdoing. Like if somebody wrongs you or, or strikes you or does these things, here's the, the proper consequence for that. And, and we read these verses, and they feel kind of harsh to us, especially you know, verses 23 through 25. You know, if, if there's harm, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I mean, that sounds barbaric to us. But in its context, it's here to preserve and promote justice, to make sure that the punishment doesn't exceed the crime. In other words, if someone knocks your tooth out, you're not allowed to take their life. Justice has to be... Or if someone takes... If a rich person takes the life of someone, they can't get off with just paying a fine. Justice must be served, and the punishment cannot go beyond the nature of the wrongdoing. And so there's this protection of human life, the dignity of human life. In the third section, uh, uh, in 2133 through 2214, you have this long list of commands about protecting property. It's basically a commentary on the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Okay, so, so what happens when somebody does steal? Well, chapter 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay Five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So he's helping them understand how to put that commandment into practice. Or verse 5, if a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over, if he lets his uh, livestock out into his neighbor's pasture and they ruin that field, uh, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and in his own vineyard. You can't just, you know... Stealing isn't just breaking and entering and sneaking something away when no one's looking. If you're negligent and you let your livestock destroy your, your neighbor's field, you've got to make restitution for that as well. The, the Eighth Commandment has a broad application in terms of protecting the property of the other. Uh, in the fourth section, you find, again, lots of applications to several of the commandments. Again, you think of uh, do not murder. That sounds pretty obvious. Uh, but what, uh, or, or do not steal, those things sound obvious, but what about in the context when you've got a sojourner in your midst? The, pe- the kind of people that most nations would take advantage of, God is saying, if you're going to obey these commandments, you're going to protect and respect the sojourner in your midst. You're not going to take advantage of them or of the poor. Or, or uh, you think of uh, the ninth commandment, do not bear false witness. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Just because a whole lot of people are saying it's right, if it's wrong, it's still wrong. And don't lend your voice to make it right. Uh, Or you shall not uh, bear bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. So, so justice is the principle there. And, and bearing false witness, here's some commands for what that looks like in this context. And so you kind of get the picture, hopefully, uh, that the book, of the, commandment, uh, the book of the Covenant shows how the Ten Commandments are relevant to everyday life in Israel. God spells it out for them. Here's what this commandment looks like in these situations and in these situations. 
and so on. They they take the principles of the Ten Commandments and 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 spell them out. How do they apply in the context of Israel's covenant relationship? So that was the purpose for Israel. What about us? How do these commandments apply to us today? What do we do with the Old Testament law? Because we're not in the wilderness right now on our way out of Egypt waiting to go into Israel. Uh, we're in a different situation. So, so what do we do with the Old Testament law? Well, whereas Paul was clearly correct to say that we're not under law, but under grace, uh, Jesus was also clearly correct when he said that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Moreover, both Jesus and Paul regularly talk about the importance of fulfilling the law, uh, usually in terms of Jesus' great summary of the law into two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is summarized in those two commandments. And, and there's a lot of emphasis on keeping that in the New Testament by both Paul and Jesus. And so the Old Testament law remains relevant. It's not something you can just ignore or discard or tune out when you're reading through Exodus or Leviticus or something like that. It remains relevant to God's people today. And there's a sense in which it sometimes, the specific laws are sometimes binding on God's people, but there's also a sense in which sometimes some laws aren't. And, and, and how do we you know, sorting out the distinction between which law am I supposed to apply just like it's written and which law uh, looks different, that's where the headache comes in when you're reading through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. What is this? What, what here applies? What doesn't? And how do I live it out? Are we merely left with our own opinions on what to do with the law? Uh, that, that was one of A.J. Jacob's conclusions in his year of living biblically. Thou shalt pick and choose. That was one of the, the lessons he learned from his experiment. Because everybody picks and chooses. Even those who claim to keep the Bible literally are picking and choosing. And so, hey, you got to pick and choose. Go with the ones that you like. Or, or today, go with the ones that, that line up with what's socially acceptable in the world. You know, tolerance and, 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 and so on and so forth. And, and leave out all that other nasty stuff. That was his conclusion. you got to pick and choose. But I think that we can and must do better than that. Uh, we must say more than that. Remember how the law worked for ancient Israel. There was a principle, the uniqueness of God or the dignity of people. So there's a principle that is expressed in a rule or regulation. Have no other gods before me. Do not steal. If someone steals an ox, you've got to pay five back for it. So there's a principle, and then that's expressed in a rule. What we see in Scripture is that the principles remain. They are God's abiding word to all people in all times. The regulations, how those principles are, are to be lived out, that's what sometimes changes. The house rules. Because the house has changed. We're no longer living under the old covenant 
given to Israel at Sinai, we now live under a new covenant in Christ. So principles can abide and endure, and they can be expressed in different ways at different times. Again, think of of the house rules. Um, Protecting somebody's property or respecting their property, that might mean removing shoes in your house. In our house, we don't have that rule. Uh, Our kids are not allowed to play with fire inside the house. They're not allowed to rip cupboard doors off or destroy furniture. You know, there's rules for respecting property, but it's not, you know, shoes are okay. And so the question is, whose house are we living in today in order to understand what, how the regulations work out? The principles remain, whose house are we in? How do those, how do those principles come down to specific rules? Now that Jesus has come, we're no longer in the house of Israel's Mount Sinai covenant. We are in what the Bible calls the new covenant in Christ. A covenant that the Old Testament promised would come. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. The Old Testament looked forward to this new covenant. uh, Because the covenant that God made at Sinai wasn't meant to be eternal. It was meant to be temporary. It was meant to point people toward the new covenant in Christ. And the New Testament shows us how Jesus established that new covenant, that new arrangement with his people through his life, death, and resurrection. He perfectly obeyed the rules and regulations of the first covenant in his sinless life. He he became the faithful representative. All of Israel messed up with that first covenant. Jesus was the true Israelite who actually kept it. So he fulfilled it in his life. But more than that, he took upon the full consequences for all who broke God's covenant through his death on the cross. Uh, He paid the price for our covenant infidelity, for the ways that we fall short. Jesus not only fulfilled it by keeping it, he also took the punishment for us breaking it. And not just for Israel, but for all nations. Paul explains in Galatians 3, He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, the the consequences for breaking God's law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So because Jesus fulfilled the old covenant, And in fulfilling it, established a new covenant in his own blood for all nations. We live in his house. And so we live under his house rules. The the abiding principles of the law must now be filtered through Jesus Christ. That's how we know what to obey and how to apply the Old Testament laws that we find in the book of the covenant. It's not a pick and choose game. It's not like, well, this one I like. These I don't. This one's popular today. These aren't. Uh, We can't just ignore the law, nor can we obey it in its exact form. Rather, we filter those laws through Christ. God's law is relevant to all of life. But it must be applied today through Christ, who fulfilled it and who frees us to keep it by his spirit. And so think of Jesus as the filter. If you put a filter 
on your sink or, or you're filtering some sort of liquid, uh, some things are going to pass straight through that filter. Some things are going to be absorbed by it and some things are going to be strained out. And that's what happens to the regulations, to the rules of the Old Covenant when you filter it through Christ. Some rules pass straight through and come to us. Some are absorbed by Christ and some are filtered or strained out. So some rules pass straight through. They are just as binding on us today as they were for Israel in, the, in their articulated form. Uh, and the clearest mark of that is when the New Testament repeats a command straight out of the law. Uh, for instance, love your neighbor as yourself. That comes from Leviticus 19.34. But it's repeated in Matthew 19, Matthew 22, Romans 13, Galatians 5, and James 2. So that law, love your neighbor as yourself, is just as binding on us today as it was on Israel and the Old Covenant. Uh, or God's instructions about sex and marriage. That sex is for marriage and marriage is for a man and a woman. The New Testament uh, says the same thing about marriage and sex as the Old Testament. Those regulations pass straight through to us because they're rooted in the principle of God's order in creation. The principle is applied through the law. Or, or think of the Ten Commandments themselves. Nine out of, ten, out of the ten are reiterated, repeated in the New Testament. Uh, therefore, binding on us in the exact same way as they were for Israel. The only one that's not repeated is remember the Sabbath or keeping the Sabbath. But even then, though the specific regulation of how to keep the Sabbath is not binding for the church, the principle remains. And that principle is that we are to order our lives around God and not ourselves. Around God, our Creator and our Savior. The, the whole purpose of setting apart a day for worship and rest is to remember and recognize that God is the center of the universe, not us. And so we order our life around Him. That is still true today, even though there's more flexibility in the New Testament about what that looks like. And so some laws and regulations pass straight through the filter and come directly to us uh, in Christ. Others are absorbed by Christ. They are so fulfilled, so completely fulfilled by Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection that they are no longer binding, that they no longer apply to us today. Um, they become, as, as the author of Hebrews puts it, they become obsolete. Uh, many of the laws of Israel's worship uh, fall into that category. So, so all of the instructions about sacrifices and offerings that you find in Exodus and in Leviticus or all the, the rules for the priesthood or the instructions about altars or the temple, all of those were fulfilled by Jesus so completely that they no longer apply. Uh, Hebrews describes it like this, Hebrews 10. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's what the old covenant was like. The priest stands daily at his service, offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, 
He is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, so again, the principles remain. The principles remain. The forgiveness of sins still requires a blood sacrifice. That's a principle from the Old Testament, and that principle is still true. We still need a mediator in order to approach God. But it's just that the sacrifice has been paid in full by our perfect mediator. And so Jesus absorbed those rules and so completely fulfilling them that we no longer bring chickens and goats into the church today in order to sacrifice. We don't have to do that because Christ is our once-for-all sacrifice. And so some principles flow straight through, some are absorbed by Christ, and then finally, some laws or regulations are strained out. Uh, some of ancient Israel's house rules were so unique to the first covenant uh, because they emphasized the unique nature of Israel's relationship with God, their identity and relationship with God. Uh, Israel was special. They were God's treasured possession among all nations. They were set apart from all other peoples on earth to be his holy nation. And so a lot of their laws emphasized that unique identity. Uh, for instance, the laws about not wearing clothing made of two kinds of material or not planting two different kinds of seed in your field. It's not that God has a problem with blends or with efficiency and farming techniques and so on. Uh, the, the principle, uh, the, the clothing and the farming practices were be, to be a reminder that Israel was a set-apart people. They were different from the nations around them. And so they lived differently in things like farming and what they wore. Uh, the same principle lays behind laws about clean and unclean food. So Israel made a distinction in their menu because they were a distinct people, uh, which is interesting. So when you come to the New Testament, remember the first time Peter is sent to go preach the gospel to non-Jews, to Gentiles. Remember the vision God gives him. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, unclean things. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again, what God has made clean, do not call common. So Peter has a vision about eating unclean food and the next thing that happens to him is he's sent to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It's not a coincidence that when the gospel goes out to the Gentiles, the food laws disappear. Israel's no longer required, God's people are no longer required to make distinctions in their menu because the gospel is now going to all nations. So the principle again remains. God is holy and he elects a people for himself to be holy but that election is no longer drawn along ethnic lines. It's now marked by faith in Christ. So the principle remains, but the regulation, the house has changed, so the house rules are different. Food laws don't apply anymore. Um, and so God's law is relevant to all of life, for all of his treasured people. But it must be applied today through Christ who fulfilled it, and who frees us by his spirit to keep it. 
in that last part, that he frees us by his spirit to keep it, that is another significant distinction between the old covenant and the new. The presence of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to obey. When you read through the Old Testament, uh, it's very clear Israel had a really hard time keeping the covenant. They dropped the ball again and again, over and over, uh, to the point of all of the covenant curses came upon them in the exile. And and so, you know, you look at that, and it's easy to think, well, well, God didn't do a very good job giving them a law. This is kind of hard, a little, little heavy. Uh, but the problem wasn't with the law. The problem wasn't the rules. It was the weakness of human flesh. Uh, Paul describes it in Romans 7. For while we were living in the flesh... Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So the law was holy. It was good. It was righteous. But sin took advantage of it uh, to lead us and produce lawlessness and death in us, which we're powerless to fight against on our own. The flesh is of no good fighting against sin. And the law just exposes how bad a sinner we are. But in Christ, Paul tells us, that we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. So we're still called to serve God. We serve not under this, but through the Spirit. We're still called to serve God. We're still called to apply the law through Christ, who frees us to keep it by the Spirit, but we don't do that by the flesh. We do it by the Holy Spirit who's in us. Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to keep God's law. Not out of legalism or duty, but out of relationship and the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at uh, Romans 8, 3 through 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God gave his law to Israel so they'd know how to live as his special people. They couldn't do it. Their flesh was too weak. God has done what the law couldn't do because of the weakness of the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He got rid of it. He took the curse in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we are able to obey God, not because we've figured it out or we've tried hard enough, but because the Spirit of God lives in us through Jesus. And he's the one who gives us the strength to obey. And so when you read these Old Testament laws, uh, like what we have in the Book of the Covenant, as obscure and, and awkward as they often feel, remember, every rule of God serves a purpose and expresses a principle. Let the law be your guide, not as a matter of legalistic conformity to many regulations which no longer apply, but to the principles for how to love God and how to love your neighbor. How to recognize God's uniqueness and holiness and, and, and authority and how to respect the dignity of the other, protecting their life, their property, their reputation, uh, their marriage, and so on. So the law becomes a guide. And, and 
understand the purpose of each law for Israel and then filter that law through Christ in your obedience. Is this something that passes straight through? Is this something Christ absorbed? Is this something strained out? How do we put that principle into practice? God has given us his law in his love, not as a burden, but in order to, as a framework for responding to the God who saves us. And so, may we learn to love it like the psalmist loved it. Oh, how I love your law. It is my delight. May we learn to love God's law and keep it, not grudgingly or legalistically or naively, not ignoring it either, but joyfully through faith in Christ in the power of the Spirit. God's law is his good word for us. May we keep it in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, when we read passages like this, we're confronted with how different our lives are today, how different our situation is in Christ, and yet we're confronted with how similar it is, because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and your law abides as a revelation of who you are and how you call us to live as a saved people. God, keep us from treating your law like a ladder, trying to impress you or impress others. Help us rather to see it as, a, as sheet music for how to, uh, how to sing a song of worship to you with our whole lives. The notes that guide us in loving you and loving others. Give us wisdom to know how to understand it and apply it and obey it. But most of all, keep us fixed on Christ. He is the fulfillment of your law, and it's in him that we are able to keep it. Uh, and so, Lord, keep us fixed on Christ, dependent on him, on his grace, on his spirit, as we worship you as a saved people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.